and that and that mystically piece is really about there's this way that we can connect with God that is that is broken in the fall was broken in the fall but through Christ it's reconnected and we we literally can connect with God and I find that um, people who are in Christ don't always agree that God is easy to talk to, uh, easy to listen to, uh, easy to understand. Those are some mysteries I really want to go after and for us to understand a little bit about why that is kind of true, that it can be a struggle to feel like you're connecting with God. Has anybody ever had what they felt like was a struggle connecting with God or hearing God's voice or understanding what God wanted. <clears throat> so this is going to be kind of why that might be true and, and kind of where we go from there. So here's a question. Um, and I have a picture of the brain. Uh, this is kind of a, a scientific version. It looks like an artist rendering, but it's an artist rendering of what scientists see our brain is a complicated place, uh, and, and it operates in a way that is uh, a mystery to all of us. But here's some questions for you. How does God talk to humans? How, how does he do that? We can look in the Old Testament, and we see where God spoke to so-and-so, or he uh, told the prophet to say this. And, and I think often there is envy in the Christian world, why can't God just do that? Why can't he just walk up to me and go, Bill, do this. Bill, do that. Now, I want us to understand that just because it says God said something in the Old Testament doesn't mean that it was a voice. It does not mean that. We don't have that language in a lot of places. And there is certainly evidence that that is not a true statement, that often it was God speaking to them in a way that was not an audible voice, not a burning bush. How do we talk to people? Um, how, um, I'm sorry, how does he talk to people who are in relationship with him? How does he uh, give you help? How does he give you counsel? How does it work? I know many people will come to me and they're, they're struggling. They want to know, you know, what should I do? And I, my, one of my questions, have you prayed about it? I, I don't hear anything from God. Yeah, I prayed about it. Actually, most of the time I hear, no, I haven't prayed about it. But the ones that do say that they prayed about it, you know, very often mining an answer from them, they seem a little confused. So I want to look at some things. Um, but first, I want to start with the scripture on how God suggests that he speaks to us. We see this in Hebrews, and it says, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws, I will put my thinking, I will put my values, I will put my stuff my ideas, my concepts, my convictions, I will put them in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. 
we have a tremendous insight here uh, as to what God is talking about in that time, which is when Christ comes and sends the Holy Spirit to live within us. It is, there is a turning point here where the burning bush becomes obsolete. And what you'll recognize, and, you know, people who are close, Melinda and I can recognize, we, we have lots of language that is not verbal. When she knows what I'm thinking before I think it. We have lots of understanding that is not verbal. And so the idea that that verbal communication is the ultimate communication is really incorrect. And what God is saying to you is, here's the deal. For me to say, this is right, is often no different than saying, Bill saying, this is right. It's just somebody saying something is right or something is wrong. But what about if it's in your heart? Do you see the difference? It's, it's mine now. The idea that it becomes mine. Did you, I'm sorry, folks. Did you do the, um, the very top one? What does it do? One minute. This is about air conditioning, so it's a good thing. Um. So God gives us this insight that I am I am speaking into your heart. I am writing into your heart. And so life and the things that happen in work, they play out really on two stages we're going to introduce. The first one is the greater story of your life. This is the big picture of your life. Who are you? What are you? What are you, will you be? What will your story be about? Will you be a suburban housewife? Will you be a guy that works a job for 50 years and gets a gold watch? Uh, will, you, will you have drama all your life? Will you struggle to find your groove? Will you change the world? Will you find a remedy for something? All right, that's the greater story. Then we have, there's this moment of your life. That's right now. There's a lot of power in now, isn't there? And I find people fall into two categories. They totally demote now, and now has very little value and they sacrifice the long-range picture and then you have people that are all about the now and invest everything in the now and typically they sacrifice the big picture 
All right. So direction of your life. Here's where it comes from. Uh, thoughts. Um, those thoughts are ex- include experiences. Those thoughts include experiences, uh, ideals, understanding, circumstances, and dreams. All those things that wander around in our thoughts. Uh, injustice wanders around in our thoughts. The, the great opportunity that got away wanders around in our thoughts. Regrets wander around in my thoughts. Lost love. A thoughts is a scary place, isn't it? Ideals and values. Those are things that, at least to moment, the moment we think we live by, we, we call them foundational or important. The third thing is desires. What you want. What's interesting to you. And then convictions. How you feel about something. Some things you might be passionate about. Other things, you don't care. The direction of life in the moment. Uh, On PBS, they had a special, um, How Do You Make a Teenage Suicide Bomber? And uh, actually, I borrowed part of this from uh, Phil Johnson. He is uh, a pastor at the Kenner Vineyard in Louisiana. Uh, But I thought the story was profound. And uh, this comes from PBS, and what they do is they will take a young man, young woman from an impoverished neighborhood with very little hope, um, and they will put them in a school, and they will give them a father figure, isolate them from their family, and they will hear the sermons and the teachings of, uh, of this particular person primarily. Uh, their school will have no sciences, no math, anything like that, and they'll be primarily cut off from outside uh, media and things like that. And they will be taught and indoctrinated about their enemies. And then they will redevelop the idea of suicide, which is actually against the laws, at least in the Quran, um, the virtues of suicide, and they celebrate it when it happens. And this was the response... Uh, when they were asked, how do you do this? This was their first statement. You educate the imagination. You educate the imagination. And then Phil does this. He says, let's change realities. Let's change storylines. Um, how do you make a teenage uh, capitalist consumer? You build them all. And teenagers go there. And they collect there. And it becomes their place. And it's where their friends are. You don't even have to reason to go to the mall. The mall is where it's happening at that certain age, isn't it? And you're taught all kinds of things. You're taught what's cool and what's not cool. You're taught what the latest fashions are. You're taught how you can look awesome and incredible and irresistible. How you can be the sexiest 12-year-old on the planet. That is what they're telling them. 
For those of you who go, what? Just go to the mall. You'll see. Oh, I get it. You know what they're doing? They're educating the imagination. And I can see myself cool, sexy, inbeat. I can see myself totally different. All I need is a little more stuff. I just need some new stuff, which means I just need some money. And in a month, they will change that. And I will need the new, new stuff. And in another month, they will change that. And all they have to do is keep rewriting my imagination. There was a time in the 80s where parachute pants were cool. Now, I don't know anybody that would admit ever having a pair. I did not. But, of course, I just said I wouldn't admit it if I had a pair. (laughs) It's about educating the imagination. I'll give you three stories here. This first one, this is a Hasidic Jew. one who is normally paid by the government, they pray every day at the wall. Uh, they, they recite prayers and they pray. Um, has been indoctrinated probably since childhood. How to think. How to see the world. How to see God. How to see themselves. How to see their enemies. What's important What's not important. Their imagination has been written out thoroughly. The next one, this is a Palestinian shop owner whose house was just destroyed by the Israelis. What would his imagination look like? Might be just hopelessness. Might be he doesn't have too much hope in his imagination. That the screen that plays that preferred future doesn't have anything on it. Maybe it's war. Maybe it's anger. But for many Palestinians, it's a lot of hopelessness. Now, the third one you're going to see are American tourists. These are all in the same area, by the way, all over the Middle East. How do you think they see life? How do they see the world? A lot of them might say, you know, I wish they would just stop fighting over there in all those places because there's some gorgeous beaches I would like to go to. Why can't they just stop all that so we can go party? The beaches in Lebanon are awesome. They are indeed. 
So here's my question. These three groups, individuals, what is written on their imagination? And do you believe that they all see what God sees? Do they see what God sees? The question becomes, has God had the opportunity to write on their imagination? Or is everything in their imagination created by a rabbi or an iman or the media or their experiences or their hopes or their dreams or their consumer ambitions? I often think about, uh, I I really don't care for Facebook. Uh, I know it has some great advantages. And when I say Facebook, I'm really collectively talking about all random access social media. It is the only place where everybody is an expert on everything. No matter what it is that somebody puts down there, I can weigh in as an equal expert with everybody there. If I were to get two or three of you and we create a very unjust YouTube scenario and we put it up there, we could inflame the passions of millions of people around the world because we just set it up to do that. And people passionately weigh in as experts in situations where they don't know the people. They don't know the real circumstances. I am barely qualified to weigh in on the circumstances of my own life. I'm just barely qualified. I can think something about Melinda that isn't true. But I have as good a vantage point in Melinda's life as anybody. But it doesn't mean I know her perfectly. I'm working on it. But I don't know her perfectly. It takes dialogue, open dialogue, right here just to make this work. So why would I think social media could offer anything to the imagination that is so frail and so open to everything to get on it. Who and what writes on your imagination? That word is interesting. If you go to the King James Version, you're going to see some things that really point out... um, it changes some words that allows you to see what God is saying. In Romans 1.21, he's really talking about the corruption of humanity. And he says, because that, they, uh, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain 
in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They became full of themselves in the imagery and in the storyline of their life. You see, their imagination had no place for God. They and others were writing the story. But what about if this is the place where we hear God? In the scripture, I don't think I'll put it in here, but in the scripture in Corinthians, um, there is a verse that talks, actually there's two verses, that talk about seeing in the mirror dimly. That you're seeing God. What is this mirror? What is this, what is this thing that provides imagery in your mind that allows you to see God? Because we don't see things in our mind in words, do we? I mean, you see pictures, you see images in your mind. You know, what was your greatest birthday? You will think of an image. You will think of a moment, an event, a story, a gift. We see, we understand, we participate in the images of our mind. And what the scripture says is, God says, if you will, if you will open your mind, if you will open it, I will write on the imagination of your heart. The images that we take in. I'm not just talking about physical images, but all those things that, that, can, that can be in the imagery of a Palestinian or a tourist. And what God says is, all of your circumstances, all of your ideals, all of your understandings, will you let me write in a way that I can heal all of those things? Or do you just want to hold on to that regret? Do you want to hold on to that hate or that injustice in such a way because it was true, because it happened? I have it right here. And we begin to worship in the imagination. And they become vain imaginations. But what, because what they do is they take the place of what God wants to bring as a new reality to our heart. Can I love my enemies? It depends. If I fill my imagination, the screen... The wraparound, surround sound, screen, 3D image in my imagination with the injustice of these people toward me, I probably can never love my enemies. But what if I allow God, I'm going to use this word, to speak into my soul and to change the imagery in my imagination? And I no longer see that person in that event. I no longer have taken that event and replaced that person with that event. We see images, don't we? 
when we see somebody or we hear about somebody who did something horrific, when somebody speaks of Hitler, the imagery of injustice can come to our mind. All you have to do, my grandfather, just because he was a terrible shaver, he, would, he, had, a, he had a mustache, but he would keep, it was uneven, he kept going. He always had a Hitler mustache, you know, one of those things like this. Every time people saw him, oh, man, you look like Hitler. You look like Hitler. People didn't like it. Why do you want to look like Hitler? He just can't shave. But that's not what people saw. That's not what they felt. Why do you want to look like Hitler, dude? That's creepy. And then he was, you know, a little bit upset about it. He decided he was going to wear it that way from now on. Man died with a Hitler mustache. You see, things are speaking into your heart every day. When you see that injustice on social media and you pass it on to others so they too can experience that injustice and let the impassion inflamed in their heart writing that injustice, supplanting a Muslim with, with the idea that all they do is cut the heads off of Westerners. You won't hear God. You're hearing the other things. You're allowing the other things to write the story. And here's the problem with it. For teens and young people, our challenge is our. Didn't you like that? Our challenge as young people, power to us young people, is that we are taught to be caught up in the moment. We are taught right now. Am I having fun? Am I entertained? Am I energized? Am I digging my life right now? Because if I'm not, I have to do something different so that I am. Society and the system has taught you, me, that now is, now is the most important moment of your life. I would absolutely agree with that. Because now is the seeds of tomorrow. And what we really need to navigate now, that our big story isn't full of regrets. Our big story is we have to care about what is written on our imaginations. God is going to challenge everything on your imagination. Because most of it he's going to see is crap. He is. It's junk. You know, I picture it like this. I could see myself uh, have a nice home, you know, my heart home. And uh, it's decorated well because I'm expecting Jesus to come in. And Jesus comes in. And I'm showing them around, you know. Hey, I've, I've read the Bible through I don't know how many times. And I have my, 
And he looks around and he goes, we have to redecorate, Bill. This is my crib. I spent all my time. This is, this is, this is my digs. This is where I, this is where I'm comfortable. This is where I hang out. I, I, I was, I thought you would like it. How would you feel if we just gutted everything out of here, Bill? But it's all I am. I know. I know, Bill. Would it be okay if we moved all this out? All of it? Yeah, all of it. But all of it? Yeah, all of it. Is there anything here, Bill, that you wouldn't let me replace? Well, you don't want him to replace anything. Who's writing on your imagination? <clears throat> they were talking to some um, Iraqi soldiers, uh, actually some uh, commanders, about why their fighters struggle so much to fight against the ISIS um, fighters. And they said, we don't think they're better trained. We think that they're fighting for a cause and they're disciplined. Our guys are fighting for a small paycheck. And they're not disciplined. Who's going to win that? You see, on their imagination, the ISIS have a dream and a goal. And they're pursuing it with haste. It, it, it's not about, I'm not trying to glorify anybody. I'm trying to say how we live. It's not just them. It's you. It's I. It's how we are mystically wired. And God says, if you allow me, I will write. And you will hear. You will, he you will be able to see and to understand what I place in your imagination. And it won't take a single word. <clears throat> you know, years ago, I had an image, and the image I had was this was filled with cars out here because we ran out of parking out front. I don't see a single car out there right now. But on my imagination, the picture is still very fresh. It's very fresh, and it drives me. It motivates me. It energizes me. Why? Because I believe God wrote on my imagination. And God will write impossible things on our imagination. And then he says, will you believe this? And will you call it what it is? Second Corinthians 10, 5. This is Paul speaking. He says, you know, we cast down imaginations, or what he calls vain imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, demonstrating where the real fight for your soul is, right here in your imagination. 
That's where the fight is. And he says, we look at the imaginations and we take them captive when they are not, they don't seem to be from God. They're not, they're not of God quality. When I look at somebody and it provokes something that is, that is uh, harsh or cruel, I know it's not from God. Am I allowing and willing to have vain imaginations remain? Because they will move and control me. And in the U.S., it's mainly a consumer attitude. I'm a consumer. I want, I deserve, and if I can figure out a legal way to do it, or slightly illegal, I can have anything. It has supplanted the American dream of hard work. Which I don't necessarily agree with that dream, but I'm just pointing out. Here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart, I pray that the imagination where the screen runs because you live on imagery, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glory, inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. My hope and my prayer is that God, you will allow him to write the amazing story of you in your imagination. This takes work to hear And to trust your imagination. It takes work to do it. You have to practice it. When I get, anybody know what the word unction means? Uh, When I get this feeling, and I think it's from God, it's really key to understand that. If you feel like, you know, I think I should leave my spouse. You really need to check it against the character and nature of God. But you see, once I check it and I go, this could be from God, then then allow it to build an image. Allow it to become real for me so that it has the power to be a part of who I am. It takes practice. Do you want to hear God? Then allow him the way he communicates will be to write on your heart, to give you an image, a hope. A dream. It could be a word, but it's a word that expands to something more. And what you're going to find is it will always have power. Years ago at a youth department at uh, Houston Vineyard, we had a girl that was not very connected and uh, really just showed up because friends were there. She was sitting on the back row, and uh, I felt like I had a word from God. And here's the word from God. I have a word for the group. Great. What is it? Um... I didn't get anything. So I start going around to my leaders. Hey, do you get a word from God? You got a word from God? You got a word from God? Word from God? Nobody. And then God said, one of the youth has it. This is my thought. Forgive me, God. Oh, well, shoot. We're never going to get it then. That was my thought. So I kind of stopped everything. I said, you know, 
I, I believe that God has a word for us. I wasn't even convinced most of them knew what a word from God was. I said, all that is, it might be an image. It might be a feeling. It might be an understanding. It might be a statement. It might be something from God. And it's for the group. And he wants you to share it. And if you're not comfortable doing it, come in and share it with me, and I will share it. So, you know, we're, we're going on worshiping, and I'm, I'm walking around praying. And I walk by the very back row, and this girl, she says, it's me. I said, what do you mean it's you? It's me. I said, well, do you want to share it? She says, no. And then she gets up and she walks to the front. And she said, this is what she said. God wants us to know that he's here for us. And then she goes and sits down. I thought, that's not a word from God. I could have said that. It sounded so unimpressive. And then people started confessing sin and falling down crying. And amazing things started happening. And something was powerful about that simple phrase. Why? Because it was from God. Because it was a word from God. And words from God have intrinsic power. It's not just a nice phrase. It's not just true. But they carry power for the moment. They carry power for the moment. And so we take risk with that. If I think I hear it from God, then I probably need to share it. And if it looks like, well, that didn't do anything, you don't sweat that. You know why? Because you're figuring out your imagination. Because everything on our imagination is written pretty wrong. And so, God, it's a, it's a process to get reacclimated with an imagination that connects with God. And the writing on our heart becomes active and powerful, not just for me, but for those around us. I've got a video. So it's just a short video I want to show you. Uh, this, uh, this is a, just a, a little bit of an interview, a couple of minutes. And this woman's name is um, T.M. Lorman. She is an anthropologist. I don't know if she's a believer, but I don't think she was a believer when she started. And what she, she wrote this book, When God Talks Back. Fascinating book. And this lady, what she did is she decided she wanted to know, uh, understanding the American evangelical relationship with God. That's the subtitle. And so here's what she did. She decided to go to a church, attend a home group, and observe people with God. And so what she did is she went to a vineyard. She went to a vineyard on the East Coast, and she went to one on the West Coast for several years. I mean, this is a committed process here. I wish I could get our people to go to home group for several years. Anyway, I don't know where that came from, but maybe that was from my imagination. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, the, this is just a, a quick interview with her on what she observed. Have we got that? And let's take down the lights if we could a little bit. Howdy. My name is Tanya Lerman, and I've written a book called When God Talks Back about we got more the evangelical experience of God, the way people learn to experience God as interacting with them. And today I'm going to answer the question, for the people who told you that they hear God, what do they mean? 
they have conversations, have visions? What do they typically see and hear? So what I saw, I'm an anthropologist, and in my field we um, hang out. We do what's called participant observation. We spend time with the world that we've come to try to understand. And what I saw people do when they experienced God as speaking to them, so I saw them learn a skill. They learned to, they had to think about their mind differently. They had to learn to pick out of their minds the thoughts and images and sensations that they associated with God. And they did this, you know, it wasn't, uh, I was impressed. It wasn't such a strange process. It took people, it was tough for people to learn, but they, um, but it was something they could learn. And when, when they described it to me, I was struck by how thoughtful and careful they were. They would look for thoughts that seemed different from other thoughts, stronger, thoughts that seemed like they were in keeping with God's character, thoughts that gave them peace. And then they would test those ideas. They were more concerned to test them when the thought was really practical, like, you know, God says to move to Los Angeles, than when it was uh, general. But still, they always asked, is this just me, or might this be something more than me? So I hope you'll uh, take a look at the book at uh, the Patheos website. If you read it, let me know what you think. Uh, I've got, um, you, can, you can find my own website through the Patheos book site. And I've got what I call a sense of presence forum, where we're looking to hear from people who've heard God speak and what that was like for them. Thanks. I, I thought that was an outstanding explanation. And why it is hard at first. Why is it hard at first? It's because I'm not used to hearing God. I, I, am, I am used to a very different way of making decisions. I'm used to, uh, I, I'm used to, really, I am often mainly reacting from the stuff that other people have given me. Do you know, in the church, and I'm talking about the evangelical church at large, um, it is largely believed that Israel can do no wrong. And that they're God's chosen people, and that settles it. I don't believe that's true. I believe Israel can do wrong. I can do wrong. Are they loved by God? They are loved by God. Are the Palestinians loved by God? They're loved by God. Is there a story and a future for Israelis? Yes. Why? Because they're part of God's story. Is there a story and a future for Palestinians? Yes. Why? Because they're part of God's story. Many times we take what we've heard and it becomes gospel. Instead of taking and relearning and re-listening about everything. Do you know, I grew up. Um, I was, especially in high school, not so much younger. High school, I was an incredible liar. I was really, really good at it. 
Um, sometimes I couldn't even figure out if I was lying. Uh, I, I don't know. So probably some of you are like that, you know. But we're just fluid. You know, we can just move in the moment. And, uh, and so I was, lying was, uh, it was just a way to get somewhere. It was a way to accomplish something. Um, you know, God had to rewrite that piece for me. He had to, he had to help me with that. That, you know, Bill, lying is not something I do. That's pretty strange for God to say that, isn't it? You know, Bill, that's not really something I ever do. Really? Ever? Nope. Don't do it. And uh, that's what we're going to work on, Bill. We're going to work on lying. We're going to rewrite that piece of your imagination. Amazing. It was hard work for me. Sometimes I'd be telling somebody something. I'd be like, whoa, 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 stop. Hold it. That was all a lie. That was, that was a total lie. Forget all that. Let me, let me, give me a minute. I'm going to get you some truth. And they're looking at you like, you're, you're creepy, dude. But what they don't understand is God is helping me rewrite stuff. And now, now my screen is different. You could stand, please. <clears throat> 